You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the all-new Razor Guide Pack from Outdoor Edge has it all. Coming in at only 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, the Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a 5-inch replaceable blade folding knife, a 3-inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip and zip saw for wood or bone. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. Check, my check. Here we go. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Hunting Gear Podcast. And today, I am joined by new member of the Sportsman's Empire, the host of the Antler Up Podcast, Jeremy Dinsmore. And today, we're just having a good old-fashioned gear BS session. Uh, we talk about everything from saddle hunting and to boots to arrow setups to ozone to scent control, a whole bunch of uh, stuff. Uh, is packed into like long story short this is a episode where two serious hunters talk about the gear that they use and um hopefully you guys enjoy it man um and so so what i say on an episode like this where we we just talk about what we like what we feel confident and kind of why we use those said products if there is a product that you guys really like or really hate and you want to talk about it on the podcast, hit me up and we'll do a, you know, we, we, we do some product reviews, right? What you like, which the good, bad, and ugly, I call them of products. And if you have uh, enough information to fill a, an episode, Hey, I'll bring you on and we can talk about it. So it's a great episode today. It's a good old fashioned BS session right before the season starts here in Iowa in about one month. I'm recording this on September 1st, Iowa start Iowa archery opens up October 1st but I am leaving in 17 or 18 days for the very first hunt of the year and I'm heading to Nebraska and I'm going to try to put an arrow in a mule deer or a whitetail and so I'm looking forward to to that hunt like I look forward to all my hunts uh it's that time of year man uh and I'm I'm, I'm starting to tweak my gear I'm starting to plan prep I'm starting to pack already so I want to make sure I'm ready for when the time comes. Now, uh, we got to do a little bit of a commercial here real quick. Today, we're talking about, in this episode, we talk about Tethered. Tethered is a partner of this podcast, and uh, if you're looking for some really good saddle hunting accessories, saddles, platforms, climbing sticks, and even information about how to properly use saddles. You got to go check out the Tethered website. Tons of great information there. It's that time of year. And I say this, I mean, it, 
the way I say this, it makes it sound like it's all I do, and, and really it is all I do. I don't have a lot of friends. <laughs> it sounds bad, but uh, I would rather, instead of go to a bar and hang out, I would rather get on hunt stand and just go onto their satellite and look for deer trails. Like it, that That's how detailed their, their satellite imagery is amongst a whole bunch of other things. Uh, the functionality of hunt stand really is is awesome when you compare it to other uh, digital mapping uh, apps that are out there, hunting apps that are out there. That, and it's the most affordable, and you use the functionality and the affordability. That is what makes HuntStand the most popular uh, hunting app for a reason. So uh, make sure you go and check that out. And we're going to be talking a little bit today about a new company, and that's Tacticam. Uh, they have a brand new Tacticam 6.0, and what really makes this this one attractive is uh, there's been quite a few upgrades from the previous models like image stabilization. Uh, There's an LCD screen now on the device and there's new low light capabilities and upgraded mounting options as well. So what I'm going to tell you is to go over to Tacticam's website and take a look at the 6.0 and uh, read up on it. And and if if you're the kind of person who likes to document their hunts this might be an option for you so uh tacticam there's that all right huge shout out to those partners please go out and support the companies that support this podcast please go to itunes leave a review uh, about the the hunting gear podcast the nine finger chronicles podcast or the sportsman's empire as a whole i'd really really appreciate it uh last but not least man it's all about, it's that time of year where we should really be digging through our equipment, making sure it's safe, making sure um, that we're going to be safe. So when you're in a tree, we got to make sure we're wearing our safety harnesses as well. So there's that. Other than that, I think it's time to go ahead and get into today's episode with Jeremy Dinsmore of the Antler Up podcast. Three, two, one. All right. On the phone with me today, a, a brother, a new brother from the uh the antler up podcast he is now on the the sportsman's empire podcast network jeremy dinsmore of the antler up podcast how we doing man dan doing great man thanks for having me on talking about one of my other than obviously talking about uh deer in itself or hunting is is the gear aspect of things so this is uh exciting to be on yeah absolutely um welcome to the network man are you enjoying your Um, first couple days as uh as a, a contributor Absolutely, man. It's it's exciting. I, I it's an honor to be a part of a program with such great podcasts and, and the hunting industry. I've already listened to a ton of them before we joined, and you know to be a part of this, it's it's just great and and a privilege to be a part of it. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and I'm I'm really interested in what you have to say today because um, I feel like our style it is a little bit similar as far as how we approach the season but obviously you being in you're in pennsylvania right correct right you're in pennsylvania i'm in iowa there's the potential there for two different type of terrains and landscapes that we hunt so i'm just going to kind of uh dive right into it uh right now and that that is why don't you go ahead and describe what style of hunter that you are what kind of ground you hunt and then i'm going to use that to start asking gear questions sounds great yeah so based out of central pennsylvania so actually not far from penn state university uh, is where my wife and i have reside and grew up in northeastern part of the state so always 
really the only thing that I've ever known was the big woods. I uh, never had the opportunity to hunt ag ever in my life. So it's always been the big woods. The mountains have always called to me, I guess you could say. And growing up in northeastern Pennsylvania, it was my dad and I, we hunted on a private mountain, uh, kind of like a club, I guess you, you would say. And so we, we would have fixed stand locations and everything like that. But I would say the last eight, nine years, uh, you know, he was always mobile with a climber, with a lone wolf uh, climber stand growing up. And he would put me up in one for archery season here and there. And I'd have, you know, success doing that. But over the last eight, 10 years, I've been a true mobile hunter, whether it be uh, climber stands, hang on stands to what I've been using the last three years now is the saddle. Uh, so that's been really my go-to bread and butter. What I love to do and is to be as mobile as possible. And that's using the, a tethered phantom saddle. Yeah. And so you are, you're in the saddle game now. Correct. Yeah. So mobile, big woods, um, public land or private? A little bit of both. I, I do a little bit of both. Yeah, mostly both. I would say, I, man, if it's a weekend, if it's really good, I'm going back to northeastern Pennsylvania. I do still belong to that little grounded area up, up for the mountain. That mountain region uh, is like a 2,000 piece acre or just shy of 2,000. It's all mountain. It's not really kept like so. There's no food plots. There's no hinge cutting. There's none of that. It's just basically land. Uh, and my dad and I. We really have an opportunity to hunt a good chunk of it kind of aside to ourselves where we scout and do some things. And uh, it, it, it has its opportunities for sure. It's been, you know, good to us the last couple of years. That's that's for sure. But I've here in central Pennsylvania where I live, that's really all I hunt is public ground then. And uh, Dimitri, the co-host of the Antler podcast, he and I, the last three, four years, hunt together a lot. And, you know, we're not necessarily together going in hunting the same vicinity but just maybe uh he goes one way and i go another way places that we've scouted around and it's just been uh, a lot of fun so here in central pa i'm solely public and when i go back home to northeast pa it's mainly private gotcha okay all right so big woods um this this mobile game this saddle game right i mm -hmm. I, I am in the process myself of this is just in, in today's world every time i use this this word I, I laugh a little bit but i'm i'm transitioning into uh, <laughs> a, a saddle hunter right so um now i'm not gonna fully transition into a saddle hunter where I, i'm still gonna use tree stands as a tool in my you know in my tool belt so to speak um but talk to me a little bit about your saddle hunting learning curve and and how long did it take for you to get comfortable setting up tearing down shooting maneuvering in a saddle yeah i would say for me it didn't take that long i mean if you are already a run and gun type of hunter whether it be from a climber or from those lightweight mobile hang-on stands that's kind of the last piece before i got into the saddle that i transitioned from and i felt like I did okay with that and had a, you know, once you have your setup dialed and obviously if you feel like you could do it in your sleep and basically for me, it was just practicing maneuvering from the saddle. So as far as like the whole setup went, it, that was easy, you know, with the stick setting the platform, but then in a saddle, it, it, it almost starts like 
with putting it on correctly. And I know that kind of sounds silly because like, oh, you just pull it up and you just buckle your, your strap on. But in reality, you know, it, where it res- like sits on your butt or below your waist is really important. So like for me, I like having my saddle, the top of it to be below my belt line. And that's going to allow the Phantom to really cup a, really well. So I would say like once I got that figured out and figuring out where I like my tether height and my bridge length, I mean, for me, you practice, I want to say I practiced about three to five times at ground level. Once I felt really comfortable maneuvering around the tree, and then from there, I kind of graduated to the same ground level to shooting out of that, whether it be, you know, your strong side, weak side. And then I went up to climbing and seeing how long it takes. And I want to say that three years ago, that first hunt on opening day on here in central PA, when I was filming my hunt, I remember like in the, you know, the interview video, I just said how happy I was of how everything went just because of the practice. So I would say you give yourself five, six times at ground level to maneuver and and see how it feels to be a leaner to sit. I mean, now I have it set that I don't have to really make any adjustments uh, with my tether rope because of the length of my bridge and where the tether rope is uh, as far as I like mine right about between my top lip and my nose. And that's where I found to be my, my sweet spot. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And that's something that I'm still playing around with, you know, like I, I feel like I feel more comfortable being as vertical as possible, as opposed to leaning back as, Mm -hmm. uh, as much as possible. Now, I think a lot of that is going to change the more time I spend in a tree in a saddle because I haven't, you know, like in a tree stand, right? You sit in a tree stand for four hours, you're, you're going to shuffle around a little bit, right? You're going to stand up, you're going to sit down, you're going to maybe bend your knees a little bit, keep your legs stretched, whatever the case may be. But in a saddle, I feel like I haven't put in four hours yet. You know what I mean? I haven't, I haven't done a full four hours in a saddle and I don't necessarily know what, like, I'm not going to practice that before the season starts. Like, I'm, I'm not going, I'm not going to go to my backyard, set up a saddle and just sit in it for four hours. Right. I'll shoot, right. you know, I'll shoot it. I'll shoot out of it. Go get my arrows, clip back in, shoot out of it. But from a, you know, from a, um, a time frame and a conditioning, I guess you would say, because all this d- uh, different body movement, I'm not a hundred percent sure where I like my settings quite yet. I, I know that, um, I like to be as vertical as possible. I know that, uh, there's a little man, I have it right in front of me. I don't know what it's called, but it's like an additional, uh, little strap that you can hook up yep. somewhere on the your back. Band. Yeah. The back band yep. that will help relieve some lower back, uh, stress. And I feel like I'm going to be using that a lot because uh, I do have lower back issues. And so I have the XL saddle from mm-hmm. uh, from Tethered, the, the biggest one that they make with the biggest platform that they make. And um, I think that's going to, gosh, I can't, I'm so immature. That's going to help ease my transition into becoming, you know, into finding what I really like. And so, um, but I'll tell you this, just from comparing a tree stand and sticks to a saddle and sticks, man, I feel like the mobile game is just going to get a little bit better for me. You know, it's just going to be quicker to get in a tree, you know, set the, set the, 
set the sticks up, set the uh, stand up or the platform up and just hop in and, and be a hundred percent ready to go quicker than, than if I was in a, and wait, you know, less weight too. So, uh, yep. definitely going to have to, you know, we'll see, we'll see, we'll just see where it goes is what I'm going to, what I'm saying. Yeah. And, and I, I to kind of build off of two things with that, Dan, your back band, whether you're wearing the traditional back band from tethered or the MVP style uh, from tethered, you know, each one has its perks. Uh, I guess you could kind of say to it, but regardless of which band you are using, what's really nice is in a heat of a moment type of situation, before you go and grab, you, if you see a deer coming into your situation, so even if it's one that you're not going to shoot or one that you would be planning to shoot, all you have to do is just slowly move up your hands to the, uh, I guess, the clips where you could loosen the strap. And all you're going to do is just quickly loosen that and let that band just fall down and when it falls down it's going to automatically go in line with your bridge so you don't have to worry about your string angle so that's a really important piece because when i work with uh tethered at some teach and train tour events and you know you throw the back band on and i you know show people all you have to do is just you know slowly lift up your hands release that tension and it's going to drop to where it is and it's not going to get in your way whatsoever so that's another little little trick to to try to work with and, and learn and then the other thing is like you were saying about the weight situation that's the really cool thing about the mobile hunting thing because this year I kind of want to go, especially early season, as long as I can, going as as uh, minimalist as possible. Because yeah. in years past, I was always using a Kafaru uh, Striker XL pack, and you know, it, it, being a big pack, I would fill it, and I wouldn't need all this gear basically. Yeah. And now I'm I'm going to try to be as minimalist as possible and run just a Predator pack with the straps and my sticks and you know, go in the woods and go from there. And I mean, to even talk about like your four hours sit, I won't forget, you know, doing the antler up podcast and having guests on. I remember having some on and they'd be like, man, wait till you do your first all day sit in the saddle. It's so uncomfortable. And, you know, on it to honestly, I would say that it really wasn't that bad the first time. And I would say year two, it like how you're saying, like how much time I would say that you, you practice in the off season to prepare for it, you're setting yourself up for understanding and being able to functionally hunt out of it. You know, throughout the, throughout the year, you're going to go through those learning curves and see what works and what doesn't work. And then I would say you have that whole other off season by year two, like you should know what feels good, what doesn't. And I would say, honestly, Dan, by year two, like when the rut came, you, you could, I mean, it was day, day update, you know, you know, it was dark to dark and I felt completely fine. Like, yeah, you move around where you need to, to eliminate, you know, pressure wherever, but it's not like unbearable. Like, Holy cow, I need to get down to walk around or something like that. Yeah. And I think for me, man, I've hunted out of a lone wolf for like 20 years. I feel like, and and Mm -hmm. I mean, not 20, probably 14 at least. And so, so when I ended up doing that, dude, I, I can do that in, with my eyes closed, right? I feel so comfortable yeah. and confident putting up four sticks in a, in a set and being up in like five minutes, depending on the tree, right? And so, and so I know I can do this. It's just this mental game now of me saying, okay, let me step away from that and try this, right? And so um, I'll, I'll be doing a little early season hunting and uh, I'll just kind of, I guess kind of just see where, see where it goes and, uh, and just 
shoot from the hip like I always do, pick the best method at the the best time and and like I said, use use it as a tool along with all the other tools that I already have. Yeah, no doubt. That's the main thing. It's not like I'm the type of person that's going to tell you like for me it's worked and it fits my hunting style. So that yeah. is all I use, but for others, man, if you have the opportunity to have pre-hungs, you know, sets or whatever, whatever this is a tool in your tool belt. I mean, when I would talk to people out west and we're going out either elk hunting or for mule deer and you know, I man, if I had lived out there and I knew a wallow where I could get up on a, you know, on a nice wallow where I knew elk would be coming and it was a world-class bull and I could get up in the saddle. Yeah. I mean, I, I would think that's a, a worth it purchase for me instead of knowing that I could get busted on the ground nine out of 10 times. But if that saddle gives you an edge or whatever method you plan on using, if it gives you an edge, why not use it? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Kind of, kind of going back to the big woods, uh, scenario, right. Mm-hmm. And I, I hunt, uh, a couple blocks of timber that are huge and I'm going to call it, I'm going to say it's big woods, but it's big woods in an ag sense where the ag drives the movement still. It's not like okay. they're out eating acorns, right? I mean, th- yeah, they probably are, but what I'm getting at is the, the large ag fields dictate, dictate the deer movement, right? For you, it sounds like it's big woods is big woods and there's not a lot of ag in that area that dictate the deer movement. Right. Right. So when it comes to other types of gear, specifically for big wood style of hunting, uh, what, what are other, aside from the mobile game, you know, and your saddle that you use, what other type of products, um, are you using to help make you more comfortable, more confident, like more efficient? I mean, I, it, I know it's going to sound like kind of silly and, uh, I would honestly say like a good pair of boots. I yeah. mean, because I mean, for me, it is crucial, not only because of, and it's going to be maybe even something that you'll notice first time saddle hunting, uh, one, and I like a stiffer boot in the saddle just because of it for the ankle support. I've, I've really liked the, uh, crispy Thors They're I think like a four flex or a five flex <laughs> or something same, like that. I have the same pair of boots. I have the same pair yep. of boots. So yeah, I love them. So yeah, so so not only are they perfect for that in the saddle, but getting to where I need to go is either side healing and just, you know, how the waterproofing that they have, they've been a lifesaver for me because I, you know, years ago before I, I purchased a pair of crispy boots, I would, I would just buy like the cheapest, like $80 pair of boots and I would wear them out by the end of the season. And it just kept doing that year after year. When finally I was like, all right, why not just save some money and get a, a good pair of boots? And those were obviously a highly rated boot. And man, I haven't looked back. I, I love those boots. So those are really good. And I would just say, you know, when it comes to the, the gear in the, like for me growing up, I remember wearing, you know, just certain, you know, anything that I could get my hands on. It was like, I, I guess you would say it was like cotton, you know, so it would, if I would sweat, it would be wet all day and I'd be freezing my butt off. So really too, like the importance of like base layers, just because of hiking in and uh, like having that good base layer that's going to wick away the mo- moisture is, is really also like a critical piece in, in my little setup for sure. Yeah, man, I tell you what, like. If you asked me, if you put a gun to my head and said, this is obviously an over-exaggeration, uh, <laughs> hey, you have to put rubber boots on to go hunt. I'd be oh, like, man. shoot me. Just shoot yep. me. Like, I just can't envision going back to rubber <laughs> boots anymore um, because of the fact that 
you got like number one, I do have a pair of rubber boots. I do use them in very cold uh, temperatures because they're big, they're bulk, they're bulky, and they they're insulated very well. With that said, they're not they're so rigid where they fall off of I mean they overshoot on the steps that I use uh, for my climbing method, and it's just I mean they're not it's not they're not agile like the, the yeah. hiking boot is so. I've, I've hunted with guys before who are like, dude, they're, they're, they're all, they over, they're overkill with their scent game. And they feel that a rubber boot is still like the best way to not have ground scent, blah, 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 whatever. And so, yep. and so I watch them walk through the woods. I'm just like, Jesus, man, how are you doing this? Like it just, it, have you ever seen someone like, I don't know, like they, they have, they, they're walking and you're like, Ooh, they're in pain. Like they have back problems, yep. knee problems. Yep. That's what this dude looked like when he's walking in his rubber boots. And I'm just like, man, I got like, I'll, I will sacrifice a little bit in the cold feet department. Not a lot. I won't sacrifice a lot because I, I started wearing boot covers, but I just, when it comes to shoes and how I hunt, and, and how how I walk, where I walk, unless I know I'm going to be walking through a creek or some big wet marsh, I'm not I'm I'm not wearing rubber boots. Period. So yeah, you yeah you couldn't pay me to to wear a pair of rubber boots. I like when you're saying that. My daughter's been watching a bunch of Lego stuff recently, and I just think of like those Lego cartoon figures, like the way they move. That's what I'm picturing someone moving <laughs> through the woods. <laughs> that's funny. So I just, now I will. Yeah, t- I just dude. That's I will. All I, that's I, all I see. I will tell you this. There's a new company out there. They're called Light Boots, and they sent me a pair. And they are made of the same material as Crocs and they're soft. Okay. And now I don't know. I haven't worn them uh, like out in a real world scenario yet, but they're very, very light. They're not bulky, but at the same time, I don't know how they would operate in really heavy, tough terrain. You know what I mean? If you're yep. walking 500 yards through a marsh to get to a blind, I, I see I see these boots being convenient for a Southern hunter, uh, and they are a Southern company. But when it comes to the I don't know the northern weather and things like that. I just I don't I don't know yet, right? So I think I'm actually right. going to give them a chance and, and maybe go hunt a couple hunts in them just to see what what they're like and, and give an honest review. But they're, they're it's an interesting concept. They're they're like almost up to the knee. They're they're a regular rubber type boot, but they're made from the material that Crocs are made from, and and so they're super light and it's uh, it, it's it's a pretty cool concept. Yeah, that is pretty. I have to look into those. Yeah, yeah. And the other, the other thing too. I when I was saying about some important pieces of gear, I mean, for for me, is a pack just because, like, like I was saying earlier, I do have a Kafaru Striker XL, and where I hunt here on public land, there are, I would say, seven out of the ten places. I would need to quarter out a deer. Now I could get away with dragon here and there for sure. But even like back at home, we do have the luxury of if we get a deer down, you know, you could possibly get it to a trail and you could maybe bring a side by side. Now the side by sides are only allowed for that retrieval. So it's not like people could drive around on the side by sides back in uh, like during the day or anything like that. But for me, that's been key. Cause I think back to, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, a deer that a buck that I shot uh, 
back in 2019, back at home. And my dad and I, we actually quartered, uh, like not quartered, but we were able to get some of the buck uh, on that pack just by strapping them through uh, the one pack that I had, it wasn't the striker XL at the time, but it was one that had a shelf to it. And just by carrying it that way on my back like that, my dad helping guide, it was, <laughs> was actually, it was comical to see, but it worked a lot better than dragging until we were able to get a side-by-side down there just because my dad at the time needed two knee replacements and all that stuff. And it was, it was a, a an adventure for sure. So like yeah. for me, it's important to have a, have a pack because even, uh, two years ago, too, uh, a, a doe during kind of like the rut I shot, and we, Dimitri and I knew we were going to be getting in that same area the next morning just because of all the action that we saw. He and I quickly just broke this doe down, loaded her up into my pack, and we, boom, we got out of there. So it was, I, that's also a key, key piece uh, to, to have at your arsenal. Yeah, for sure. Um, but, uh, I use a mystery. I'm currently using a mystery ranch treehouse. It's the it's the one that they have designed for specifically for whitetail hunting, and it's yep. got a lid on top. And what's cool about this it is it it unzips and it's just mesh in there. And so what I've done is I put my Ozonics in there and I run it while I'm walking to the tree stand. So it, it nice. basically, uh, uh, it's like, I don't know, it, ozone's coming out of, out of the, uh, out of my pack when I'm walking in just kind of as a, another thing that potentially could save me, you know, uh, yeah, as far as no access doubt. is concerned. So I like that. I like that pack. It's rigid. It's kind of rigid too. It unzips all the way and it's not too big because I've been in the same boat with you where I'm like, Hey, I have a bigger pack. Now I can put more shit in it, which like, exactly. kind of, kind of, I don't necessarily need like in cold, in cold weather, I still have to, I'll put my jacket in there, but my overalls, my, my cold weather overalls, I will strap to my tree stand and I'm not as efficient going up the tree that way. It takes more time because I got to take it off, take the, you know, take my overalls off hang the tree stand up, put my overalls on, climb up the tree. Like it, it just sucks. But with all that said, um, it's a, I, I like that pack. It allows me to put the compartments on the inside, the Ozonics thing that I've done. I can hang it. It's real, I know, everything. And then there's one big pouch to stuff all the clothing in. And, and so from a layering standpoint, I've had to learn that the hard way where you move off a of cotton into Merino wool uh, for a base layer, you dry out faster. And then as soon as you, like for me, what I do is I'll get it, I'll get my tree stand hung up and then I won't get dressed right away. I'll calm, mm-hmm. I, I will cool off and not try to trap that moisture by putting layers on right away. And so I will, um, I'll cool off, get to almost cold, like almost cold. And then I'll start layering up in the tree. And it kind of sucks because you're letting the woods calm down and then you're kind of making a little bit more of a distraction, but it's not such a bad distraction that deer are just blowing out of the woods left and right. So that's kind of my method in colder temps. And then in warmer early season temps, it's just shit. You're going to, you're going to be sweating anyway. So you just sit yep. there, you just sit there and sweat and let the Merino do its job. Yeah, that's the one thing that I think I finally the last couple of years have done a better job at is not just 
going in wearing the jacket and you know waiting a little bit like you said to, not till you get like cold cold but until you could you could feel that that breeze a little bit uh feel hit, hit you a little bit more and that's when i get dressed and kind of go up to the tree and that's you know you just have to time getting up uh the tree and once you know your your uh sit your you know your system you'll be able to say, okay, hey, it's going to take me this amount of time to get there. So allow maybe a 10 to 15 minute cool down at the base of your tree before you start setting up and doing all kinds of things. And even while you're waiting, you know, slowly move, put your first stick on, you know, do it nice and quietly, like take that time to do that and get up. And, you know, if you're just saying about getting like for the cold and everything, going back to the boots, Dan, since you and I both wear the crispy Thors, if I know that I'm not hiking in like a of far, far distance, I will actually throw in a set of UGG insoles. So I'll remove like the insoles that are in the, the crispy boot and I'll put UGG insoles in. So it's that fuzzy, whatever warm material. And I'll wear a, a warm uh, pair of, you know, Merino sock. And I use the darn tough ones. Yep. And that combination of the darn tough Merino's like heavy sock and then the UGG insole, my feet are pretty pretty solid for sure yeah um and then as far as as far as clothing is concerned one thing that i always used to do is i i felt like the more socks the better well Mm -hmm. then you learn that air is the insulator it's not the actual sock itself right so yeah um, i would i would maybe put three pairs of socks on into my (laughs) rubber boot and then i couldn't even bend my foot or move my toes. <laughs> yep. They're so crammed in there. My feet are still getting cold. And so you learn a lot about, uh, I guess it's called thermodynamics or whatever, how heat, like how heat remains and, or escapes and things like that. So um, in the really cold temps, I'm wearing a thick sock from Altera called the Altera Alpaca. It's an alpaca. Th- I mean, it's, it's like merino wool, right? But it's made from alpaca. Yep alpaca or uh that's right alpaca Uh, that's why i married in english yeah i I married an english teacher she's the one that helps me speak (laughs) right emu or whatever i I, I don't know yeah so anyway um they uh so an alpaca um has the same their hair does the same thing that merino does and so what what i've done is uh, i'll just put that heavier sock on into my thor and then i'll put the boot cover on uh once my feet you know, and I, but I won't wait for my boot covers, right? I'll put them on right away because I know yep. that they will, like, in those particular boots, heat will escape fairly quickly. So that's why I use the the boot covers, and and those those have been really awesome. And then as far, I mean, can you imagine going backwards after using merino wool base layers? Like, no, I, I don't know about you, but I can remember the times when I was wearing like three giant hooded sweatshirts and like the Walmart long johns. And that's what I was hunting in cold weather. in. and you walk to the tree stand, you can feel the sweat dripping down your body. Down. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yep. It makes I, me shiver today thinking about it. I know. I I've re- actually, what's funny is a couple pictures from like eight years ago, like, you know, how you get those random featured photos. If you have an iPhone or something like that, like here's a photo memory, whatever. And it was actually one from like rifle season eight, nine years ago. And I literally look like the, the Michelin man. Like I was like, what in the <laughs> hell am I wearing? <laughs> or you've seen the movie, uh, a Christmas story where the little brother yeah. is just stuffed into about three snowmobile <laughs> <Exactly>. suits. 
<laughs> that, so is, it, that was me nine years ago for sure. Yeah, yeah. All right, so um, we we kind of we talked about the backpack a little bit, and uh, I mentioned ozonics. Um, mm-hmm. Are you an ozone guy? Are you, what's your what's your take on scent control? Uh, honestly, I try my best to to do play the wind as best as I can. Like in the vehicle, I actually will run an ozonics you know piece in the in the lighter you know plug in. I will do that for sure. I'm actually going to try this year that new. Uh, I, I would, I'm assuming it's new. It, it, it made a lot of buzz at ATA this year, and uh, actually they were at the uh, All Amer- or the the PA Outdoor Show, the NRA show. Uh, I think it's called like Deception Sense. Uh, where man, I don't know if you had a chance to stop and see them, Dan, but basically the guy for their demo would put in a a bottle, like a little kind of disposable cup, deer urine, and then would spray that their product into it and you would not smell the urines like you he would say here smell the deer urine and you know your your nose burns and then next thing you know he would put their their product in with it and it just was completely gone so that is a a new piece that i'm going to try they make a product that like a can opens up in your car so you could it'll help eliminate that I'm going to give that a go and obviously their, their spray. But other than that, honestly, I, uh, just not in the budget. I would rather spend more money trying out different, you know, either be a, a sight on my bow or a different release or something along those lines. Uh, but for, for right now, I'm going to give that deception, uh, uh, scent, uh, a go this year. Okay. And so I'm going to pull that up real quick because I kind of, yeah. uh, let's see, D-E-C-E-P-T-I-O-N-S-E-N-T-S. All right, Deception Sense. Let's see here. All right, so look like a couple of them have the Grim Reaper on it. Is that? Yep, correct. All right, let's see here. There it is. All right, so the it, whatever it is, you're saying that it takes away all odor, right? Yeah, pretty much. Right. Yep. So th- I look at something like that and I say, that's awesome. I mean, that's great for an application on clothing. But man, I can, and this is why I use use Ozonics, right? I don't, I cannot be convinced that an application that's put on clothing, yes, I feel like it could probably, it could probably reduce the scent that's on clothing. But whether you brush your teeth or you you fart or you burp or, you know, skin <laughs> falls off the body at all the time, all the time. Yep. So that deer can smell, can smell that. Right. And so I just can't get over the, like, I, I can't get on board with sprays and clothing, yeah. uh, you know, clothing type scents. Now deception scents, I have not looked into them. I'm going to, I'm going to definitely do that. I might even get them on, on this podcast to let them talk about, you know, uh, what it is that these guys do, but I just can't like so much scent comes out of your mouth when you breathe that there's no, unless you're wearing some kind of respirator or like uh de- deception <laughs> sense, make gum. Like I, right, I right. feel like you can't, like a, you can't beat a deer's nose unless you have something that's constant in in the tree and that's for some reason that's why i've gotten on board with using ozone in the tree and ozone on my clothing uh instead of all these sprays and other things too so i don't know that's just i guess my personal opinion yeah i mean i'm not opposed to definitely trying out like an ozonics piece i mean actually this that was a 
a kind of like a hunting wish list. I always make like a hunting wish list at the end of like every school year. So like in June, just cause I do some summer work and I try to do some other side jobs just to help pay for some of the, the addiction of hunting gear, I guess you could say. Yeah. I, uh, that was, that was one of the pieces that for sure I was looking into possibly going to try to run this year. Uh, what it was, it was Onyx. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's see here. And so whether, you know, whether it's an ozone or uh, it's a scent crusher or it's one of these Amazon brands, like off brands, I'm telling you right now, there's science behind ozone and what it does. So I'm a, you know, that's why I like, uh, um, that's why I like, you know, the science behind certain things. So let's see here. So I'm, I am going to make a note and it's going to say hit up deception for an interview. So there's that. Yeah. Uh, all right. So let's see here. We got the, like, other than that, like, here's another product that I, I like. It's weird because, you know, everybody's like, hey, you got to watch your scent. I'm actually adding a cover scent to my boots. Uh, and like I spray it over my whole body, to be honest with you. And yeah. it might defeat the purpose of using an ozone at the same time. But what I'm getting at is I am a firm believer that deer are binary uh, in their decision making, meaning yes or no. Right. So is something yep. a threat? Yes. Run away. Is something a threat? No. Maybe be a little cautious, but I'm still going to work that way. You know what I mean? So for example, yep, no doubt. Um, tractors, like I've seen deer next to tractors uh, so, and that have been running all day. And so they're not afraid of that tractor. Right. So there's something in their brain that's telling them that the oil and the diesel and, and the grease and, and the exhaust isn't a threat to them. Right. But I right. am a coyote is and things like that. So if I don't smell like a human walking into the woods or in the tree stand, then I, I feel this is my belief that it's not an indicator to them as a threat. Right. So they might smell. And what I'm getting at is I spray nose jammer on my body and on my boots okay. and things like that. And that is, uh, and the side or the, the thought process based off what they're, I don't know if he still owns the company, but the guy who kind of, uh, came up with the idea for nose jammer was it overwhelms their olfactory system. Right. And it, they get a huge, like, especially if you've ever gotten into a car with someone who smokes cigarettes, the first thing that hits you boom is cigarettes. And then it takes some time for your brain to balance out, that it's not, it's more than cigarettes or you walk into a pizza place and all you smell is this overwhelming pizza, then things calm down and it's not, you know, you can't smell just pizza anymore. Does that make sense? Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's why I like when they hit that nose jammer, it's just like, Whoa, what is that? Right. And it's, it's that, and it's not me. And so, um, I, I, I can get behind that kind of uh, delivery for a product. And so I, I use, I use that. Yeah, no, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, growing up, my dad in our hunting, you know, clothing bin would be pine cones right. and just all, all like the leaves and just to get it to smell like as much as, you know, the woods as possible. And I mean, it's kind of that same thing, but like you said, I, I mean, it makes perfect sense. It's something that I haven't personally used, but again, it's one of those things where I'm definitely not opposed. And you, like, like you said, it's, it's science behind it in a yeah. sense of saying, Hey, like, you know, when, 
deer are going to either say, Hey, this is a, this smells like a threat, get out of here. Or if it doesn't smell like a threat, let's, it's okay. Be cautious. And if you're able to sneak around and, you know, maybe they'll, they'll loop around or get, you know, upwind or, or, or however you, you need to go to possibly, you know, get the opportunity on a deer. Yeah. All right. So let's talk a little bit about prod like products that I, and and we've we've talked a lot about about them, right? You take away the boots, that would suck. You take away your saddle mm-hmm. or, or your mobile hunting gear, that would suck. But is there any other type of product that you use? And it doesn't even have to be every day. It can, it's just a product that you use throughout the hunting season, where you go, man. If, if if I had to, if I had this taken away from me, it would suck. Oh man, I mean, in all honesty, it would be. kind of like what you just had the last week's episode on about was like that electronic side of things like the mapping services oh yeah just because you know for me personally i you know it was one of those things like growing up where my dad was as soon as i turned 12 hey jeremy you sit here and i'll pick you up at dark and you sit here you know and as a 12 year old kid you're like oh man like is my dad going to come like when's he going to get here and all that type of stuff so you know you, you learn and i wasn't a boy scout so i never was the uh, like when I was outside in the woods, I was hunting. If I was outside, I was playing sports, baseball, football, basketball, all that type of stuff. Like I was outside, but when it came to like being in the woods, it was just, you know, strictly hunting. So, I mean, I learned a little bit and I have gotten better over time, but man, like, like right now, this is like my off period. So I'll sit here on a mapping service, look at, you know, potential places and mark them. And where do I have trail cameras to keep, you know, track of that? I mean, I'm constantly on a, on that. And I don't yeah. know how many times at night, if if my wife's like, Hey, could you uh, lower your, your brightness on your phone? Because I'm, <laughs> that's what I'm doing. <laughs> hey, hey. You know, so yeah. I would, you know, I, that's exactly what, what I would say is, man, if you took that away from me, and I know people have their opinion on that. And uh, I mean, I, I get to when they're the, like the other side of the of that story or the other side of that opinion. But man, for me, it plays a huge role uh, into possibly finding a new opportunity just because it is a low deer density here in central PA, I guess, where you would say I hunt with a high uh you know, highly pressured area. So yeah. it's, it's tough, man, to try to find those, those little, those little honey holes. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. You take, you take a hunt stand away from me, uh, or I don't know, like Google earth or Google maps mm-hmm. and things like that. And you gotta go back. Cause that's how I started hunting. Um, when I first started knocking on doors to get permission uh, on properties, I was using a, a, a County plat map. And so, you know, and okay, I got to be somewhere around here. You have to stop at an intersection. You have to find the roads that cross and then you got to go, okay, here's this fence line. Here's this fence line. And then I got to find a house associated with it. Right. And they don't always live on the property. So then you got to, you got to look around before, you know, digitally before that. And then at the same time, uh, public land, right. Mm -hmm. There's times where the plat book may be off uh, a little bit and, maybe off to your benefit or maybe off like there's a fence there but your your that fence is 20 yards into the private and so just the just the 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 accuracy of the information on these apps like you take that away and, and i think a lot of people would struggle and at the same time man like for me i wouldn't I wouldn't go as deep as I probably do 
in some of these scenarios on, on public land because you you just start questioning the further you get away from your truck you, you're like am I in the right spot am I in the right spot and you got to print out maps and things like that so yeah definitely that now as far as my style of hunting is concerned I, th- I think the next thing that and, and what I'm really looking for and, and this is only relevant in Iowa for me and that's the trail cameras you take away the trail cameras mm-hmm. And I have like, I'm hunting, I'm hunting completely different at this point. Yeah. I I don't have an idea. I I would probably shoot smaller deer. I probably wouldn't pass as many deer as I do in a year. And, uh, I I don't know if I would hold out. And, And this past year was a perfect example of that. And, and I knew this deer was running the area. I triangulated his position through multiple trail camera uh, validations. And then I moved into uh, the terrain feature that I thought he would be in, in at that time frame. And he, sure enough, he showed up and, and uh, I, I shot him based off of that, that information. And you take that away from me, I, you don't know what's out there. You don't know if you're on right. a good if, if you're on a good farm, you don't know if there's a uh, mature deer there. You're just playing that game and, and hoping and wishing. And so, um, I don't know, I'd either shoot smaller deer or I'd eat more tags. And, and, uh, <laughs> so I, I really don't know. Are you a trail camera guy? Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, I, to quickly go back to even what you're saying, I agree. I probably myself would not go in as deep as I would if I didn't have like these mapping services and, to, so that that's for to wrap up that aspect of things and then no doubt about it i love trail cameras uh right now i'm actually while you were just talking about trail cameras i'm trying out i'm going to try to do a podcast episode where it's not going to be a a trail cam uh homer or bashing type of episode but i do want to make an episode where i'm going to go through all these different cell cam companies that i'm that i'm running currently from wildview to moultrie to stealth cam uh to uh tactic cam to exodus so i believe i have five different cell cam cell camera uh out there right now and i have about 15 of them and they're all over the place they're here in central pa and they're here here in uh northeastern pennsylvania as well so yeah for me like how you said that last year i had uh the biggest buck to date that i've ever got on camera back at home on the northeastern property and he he showed up on a monday morning uh, I, I believe like October 21st or 19th or something along those range, uh, that time frame. And the, I, I mean, once that hit, I knew, man, that it's going to be hard to shoot something else different. And he popped up on camera again and tried to get after him towards the end of the, the year. And actually my dad shot at him, missed him, you know, shooting a different buck. But at the same time, you take those cameras away from me, especially uh, for being a teacher, I rely on those a ton because, Hey, if I know I got some either dough here in central PA, like hitting a, you know, a food, a specific, say Oak flat or a food source or going to bedding, if I'm able to, to time a good right after work hunt, man, I'm using those trail cams to, to help me, uh, you know, dictate my time. Also being a father and running the podcast. So it's like, yeah. you know, I try to, I try to use my time wisely. And if, if that's going to utilize a trail camera, then so be it. Yeah. Absolutely. And, it, it, and I'll, I'll be honest, it, it, it has helped me throughout the years understand deer movement certain times a year, right? Yeah. So on the properties that I hunt, the rut does not start November 1st. To be honest with you, <laughs> yep. it, I feel like it's pre-rut on, the far, on my main farm 
probably don't get me wrong. There's probably some some does that come in to heat it in late October, but it really gets rocking and rolling around that November fourth or fifth time frame. And this year, a hundred percent pre rut, and I shot my buck on November fourth. Right there was, yeah. uh, I saw multiple bucks out cruising. The biggest baddest buck on the property, I shot him, and he did not have. Uh, he did not have. Um, uh, he wasn't interested in does at that point still, right? Probably because the majority of them were, weren't in estrus yet. So that information that I gained from trail cameras throughout the years has led me to when I need to be on that farm. And it's not the first week of, I mean, I hunt the first week of October, but if things happen and I need to, if I need to skimp on a time, I, I, I can skimp on the first like four or five days of November. Yeah, no doubt for me, I kind of, I've, I'm doing the same thing. I know Steve Shirk out of uh, Western Pennsylvania. He just recently came out with like a, a two year study of daylight buck day pictures that he received on camera. And I started doing that this last year uh, just to see how last year's movement went and kind of to help me dictate, okay, Hey, this is actually a good time where I could go back at home in Northeastern Pennsylvania because man, my camera's lit up here. So instead of just taking November 2nd and 3rd off to go in, heck, that's been a time where, like you said, it, the, the bucks are just kind of, kind of still going at it at each other, rather than uh, the does being and 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 you know, be ready to be bred at that point in time. Because I went in to PA last year, Northeast PA, during the Sunday hunting, which was like in the late teens, yeah. and that is when bucks were just going nuts during like that's when the does were in estrus. That's when like they were running for their lives. Bucks were coming up like tongue hanging, like so that. There, I would say like that third through the like eighth, there's that period where I would not see certain amount of deer because it wasn't like the true, you know, rut phase. It's that was a couple, couple days after that. So like you said, I'm, I'm using that to help me understand the movement and make better choices. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Uh, let's see here. So we've been talking about 50 minutes now. Um, any other gear, equipment, that maybe you're looking forward to using for the first time this year or um, uh, here, let me, let me back up. Uh, let's talk about arrows. Yeah. Let's talk about arrows a second. All right. Okay. Because have you ever had a, like a, 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 let's say the other day I went into my backyard and I was just dropping bombs. I mean, I was, I was, <laughs> I was a killer and I felt really good about it. And I know that if my arrow makes it to the target, it's going to destroy whatever it hits. So um, talk to me uh, a little bit about your, your arrow setup, and then I'll do the same. All right. Yeah. So in the years past, I would say the last three, four years, I was running the Easton access. Uh, It was about a 500 to 505 grain hunting arrow. It wasn't anything like crazy up front or any collars. It was just 50 grains up front running a, a hundred grain head. And, well, four fletch with a wrap. So that's where I was getting like five to like, like I said, anywhere from 500 to 510. And I thought that was fine. And that was my distance that I needed. Uh, however, this year I have a new bow. I'm shooting a PSE uh, XF 30. I got, I'm only a 27 and a half, half inch draw. So I got that T-Rex syndrome going. And uh, I wanted to go a little bit lighter because I'm running the S2 cams and that sucker uh, is putting out some really good speed for me. So this year I'm actually shooting the vector 
custom arrows. Uh, right now, my arrows are weighing in at like 476, and they're flying great for me. It's one less thing that I need to prep and do my own arrows. And don't get me wrong, I love doing that. It's still I have I make my buddies' arrows all the time, and I enjoy doing that. But uh, I'm running those. I, I tested a bunch uh, others, and there's other great arrows out there. But for right now, my setup this year is going to be right around 476, and uh, they're flying good. I actually shot this past weekend with some broadheads. I'm going to, as of right now, uh, I'm going to run uh, the Rec FX4 broadhead along with possibly some Annihilator broadheads. I know you had them on the podcast before. Micah yeah. uh, and them are, are good dudes. Brandon are good dudes. And uh, uh, Matt from Rec is, is also a good person. So just, you know, supporting good people, good product. And uh, But yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, to see what this little lighter of an arrow does for me and uh, go from there. Okay. So have you shot a deer with an annihilator broadhead yet? Yes, I have. And talk talk to me about the damage it's done. Dude, it's kind of, it's kind of really awesome to see because I, I've had the opportunity to shoot two deer with them. One was uh, an easy double lung, you know, goes down right down and awesome destruction. Just everything turned to mush. And I actually had last year a late season doe shot where I swung around the tree on the strong side, but shot to the weak side. If that kind of makes sense. I used my, my stick as an extra kind of piece of my platform. Um, and that's where like, again, you know, shooting that 360 around the tree really does come into play. And I, man, I don't know what happened. I just think if I, I just blacked out or whatever, and it was a really poor shot. And as soon as I saw where the doe was hit, I was like, oh man, you gotta be kidding me. But then the next thing you know, it, she literally took three bounds, Dan, and she dropped and she died right there. And I was just, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. And uh, as soon as you cut open these deer with an annihilator broadhead, everything like the wind channel that it that it makes, it literally is mush. Like it is just straight up jelly. And man, they're they're an awesome awesome broadhead, and I can't recommend them enough for sure. Yeah, that's uh, um, you know, listening to those guys talk passionately about their product on on the podcast here, um had me thinking about it. Right. And so I, I'm mm-hmm. like, I just, dude, I, I am so, I, I'm so confident in the heads that I'm currently shooting the wasp. Uh, so yep. I, like, I want to, I want to see, like, if you shoot one with a, uh, an annihilator this year, I want you to take pictures and I want you to text me so I can see. So um, <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. Um, so like, I like heavy arrows. And I like to have a little bit of arch in archery. Um, mm-hmm. And so I also like mechanicals. So I feel like I would rather overdo it knowing, straight up knowing that when you use a mechanical broadhead, you know that as that mechanical is deploying, you are losing energy of that throughout that arrow, right? It, it, right. it, it yep. reduces the, the, uh, the energy as opposed to a mechan or as a, a fixed blade, right? So, what I'm getting Correct. at here is I like to throw a piece of rebar down range and, and <laughs> with the mechanical on front and just know that it's going to do some damage when it gets there. Right. And so, um, and that's the heavy arrow is almost like a backup plan for, for that. And it was in 2010 when I decided to start making the journey to a heavier arrow because I, I hit a 210 inch buck a little bit high and it was with a lighter arrow. And it was, 
I see a lighter arrow. I think I chipped a little bit of hit a little bit of rib and bone and it just like completely stopped. So yeah. I'm shooting like 524 grains total arrow weight and I'm um, shooting yep. a hundred, a hundred grain broadhead and uh, a four fletch arrow. And so my, like, I understand I'm not necessarily that guy that needs speed. I, I shoot um, a Bowtech and it's the solution. It's not the solution mm-hmm. SS. It's the regular solution with the, um, it's one, it's a faster bow. And so that right there mixed with that arrows, I, dude, I feel confident. Like I'm, I'm just crushing my target and any animal like this year I shot my buck at 10 steps and I buried it in his chest. I would say there's about six inches of arrow left outside of his body. And, and yeah. that was a head on, that was a head on shot. It wasn't a pass through right but it was a it was a direct frontal shot and i smoked him and he went boom boom dead yeah, and awesome. died yep. and so when when yep. you have when you know your arrow can do that it you just you just feel confident in taking those shots and especially if you're on and you practice so um and i'm i'm shooting day 6 arrows um mm-hmm. for multiple great great arrow great arrow multiple reasons there for that particular arrow just the specs on that arrow, as far as the, oh God, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on the term. What's the term for straightness? What do they call that? Oh, your spine. Well, it's the spine, but or, 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 yeah, I know what you're the talking diff, about. The, um, like the different, the difference between each arrow. Yep. Uh, hold on. I know like it's your, your point oh one or yes. your straightness. Yes. Yeah. Straightness or something like that. Anyway, it's, it's probably one of the smallest so that tells me every arrow is accurate. Uh, like every arrow. there's other, there's man, there are some arrows made in this industry that are way They're like every one of them is way different than the other one. So, um, and you can't tell that necessarily by the human eye, but anyway, day six. And the other thing I like about day six is that the owner of the company is actually a hardcore bow hunter. And so he, he wants, it's almost like he's building the product for himself and he's so anal about it that he wants it to be perfect and then he sells it, right? So, so right. like a, a huge company like Easton Arrows, I don't know if, I, number one, I don't know the owner of it. If it is still an, an individual owner, it's probably, it's, you know, probably got a CEO and it's got a whole team of people. It's a huge company. So mm-hmm. like, and I'm not bashing on Easton because they make good arrows. And before I transferred to, uh, uh, day six, I was using Easton Access and Full Metal Jackets. So, um, and so, and I even uh, sprink, you know, I, I sprinkled a year in there with Carbon Express. Didn't necessarily like those as much, but uh, definitely liked the Easton Access and loved the Day Six arrows, man. So, uh, I don't know. I just, I just continue to shoot what I'm confident in. Yeah, heck yeah, and that's the number one thing. As long as you're confident, like you said, I mean, for me, I was shooting out uh, at the one. Uh, public uh was on public ground like they have a beautiful range down in uh the eastern part of pennsylvania i was with some buddies this weekend shooting uh and man at like 50 yards it, they were brand new targets and my arrow was just like bearing in there and i've i was kind of like hesitant because like you saying i've always been a 500 plus grain uh you know kind of shooter and even in the late season i would even run a heavier arrow like almost i I would run a fmj and it would be kind of like that 535 540 and you know close distance and they got more 
fur on them here and it's colder and it's just like i wanted a hard hitting arrow like you said and you know just now early season i'm for right now i'm gonna run these vector arrows and see how they do and hopefully get an opportunity early on a a, a freezer queen in a sense and see how they perform yeah absolutely absolutely well hey man this has been a really good bs session i really appreciate you uh taking time out of your day to hop on and, and uh bs with us today jeremy and so uh um good luck with all your gear and good luck this season in the field man thank you you too dan and everybody else listen appreciate it